Exodus 32 Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles, apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Kelly's got the dirty work. Let's go, Kelly! But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wish. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell on the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some of the young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring sin, conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they'll carry you out, too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. Then the young men came and saw that she was dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church. What had happened. Yeah. That's reasonable. You can imagine that. Yes. Great fear seized the whole church. Okay. Now, Kenyon's going to read Acts 5, 12 through 16. We didn't catch this. What Callie just read is not the end of the story. It sets the stage for something actually really beautiful and amazing that happens. So take it away, Kenyon. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colony. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that East Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits and all of them were healed. Okay, good job guys, thank you so much. Much respect and condolences to Mariah, who's such a good sport. Please go down. Okay, so what did we just see? We saw this that God's judgment is followed by healing and saving of men. God's judgment is followed by the healing and saving of men. Notice 
this, this is crazy. In verses 13 and 14, what Daniel just read, no one else dared join them. Because <laughs> they saw what just happened to Ananias. Yeah. That is a pure church. Right. This is so ironic, but catch this. I've never seen this before until this study. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Did you catch that? Let me read the first part. No one else dared join them. Right. Nevertheless, many were added to their number. That's kind of a crazy summation of the gospel right there. Right. It's so attractive and, and yet repellent. It's both. Yeah. And it's like, no, I can't handle it. I can't, I can't handle it. I can't follow it. That's too much. It's too good. I'm not qualified. I'm not worthy. And then yet Jesus is saying, come, come. Yeah, yeah. Well, repent. Lay down your life. You must die. But come with me. And you're like, what, what's going on? That is the gospel right there. This is repelling and it's attractive. And some of us are going, yeah, because we've experienced that in our spirits, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what happened here? Well, they sold a piece of property, right? Yeah. Can we begin with that? Yeah. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. Who else sold a piece of property? Barnabas sold a piece of property. Okay. Um, he sold his property and gave all the proceeds to Peter and the disciples. Ananias and Sapphira gave the proceeds but kept some of it to themselves, right? Right. And what does it say? It says Ananias did this with his wife's full knowledge but not Peter's. So she hid something from Peter and they both together collectively, knowingly, agreed to act in deception and they lied. Yes. And simply put, you could just say this, they said that part was all. What was their sin? They said that part was all. Yeah. You might be like, okay. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't be too far-fetched. We both obviously not been struck yet. Right. You're here tonight. Amen. But we have all walked in deception. Yeah. yeah. Right. We are all familiar with lies. Yeah. It's not that far from us to say part is all. Many Christians have with great emotion saying, all to Jesus I surrender. You're the hand behind their back. Just this one thing. It's all yours, but just, just this one thing I keep for myself. Right? So, yes, we can look at Ananias and Sapphira, but if we look at them, we're going to have to look at ourselves. That's right. That's right. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to do that? Would you search us and know us and help us to walk with us? So that we might lead other people to you and grow closer to you ourselves. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, this is what we do when we come to this passage. There's, there's kind of like two typical responses. Um, and usually it's not just one or the other, it's a little bit of both. Um, we're almost like looking at God and we're like, say, Self down, bro. Like, did you have a bad head? I mean, this is planet Earth, we all lie. There's white lies and bad lies and, you know, big lies, little lies. Like, did you really have to drop the dead? So that's, many of us, we read this and it's a bit startling. I, I kind of like this passage just for the reason that it is attention-getting. When you right. read it, people go, wait, what? What just happened? Um, the other response is you could be like, wow, well, God knows best. He loves me. I trust him. All good. Yeah. But usually we, we say that, but we're still kind of scratching our heads going, dang. Right? Yeah. And you guys like, you're like, yeah, this is yeah. Okay. 
Well, why do we have that first response where we want to tell God to settle down or maybe think that, yeah, there should have been judgment, but it might have been a couple bit extreme. It was maybe heavy-handed. Heavy this is what I have discovered, looking at this passage myself, talking to people, some of you guys. We are stirred by God striking somebody dead than somebody alive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We're more disturbed by God striking them dead than Ananias and Sapphira lying. And why is that? It's, it's pretty simple. It's because we're accustomed to lies. Wow. It's the water we swim in. Right. Yeah. And if you push most of us at a certain point, we will lie. In the name of expediency, and then justify it later. But it's like, this this just works best here. Yeah. And sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Right. I mean, there are discrepancies and inconsistencies throughout our lives. And sometimes we don't even know they're, they're there, we're just so comfortable with it. Until the Holy Spirit shines a light in our hearts, and we begin to see some things. And then it's the worst that you can realize, right? Yes. Then you can understand what the prophet Jeremiah meant when he said the heart is deceitful above all things. Not just Ananias, it's part of heart. The human heart. Yeah. Our hearts here is in the state of tonight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. That, um, I was once with an extended family member, and they complimented my character. Um, very kind of them. And I, I don't remember my exact words. I just kind of said, they just said, Jason, you're a great guy. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> the grace of God yes. explains everything. Yeah. I'm a pretty selfish jerk yeah. outside of the grace of God. Yeah, right. And they said, oh, no, Jason, don't, don't say that about yourself. You're, you're just a quality guy. <laughs> you know, they weren't just covering for me, they're covering for themselves. Right. Because if I am a selfish jerk apart from Jesus, so we're dead. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're part of, partly they're saying, yeah, we know that, James, but let's not talk about it. Right? Yeah. We all got inconsistencies. But yeah, okay. Here's the truth about this. If I can just be frank, if we believe we deserve to die for our sin, it's not all of us are there yet. This story is more acceptable. Yeah. If you right. don't, you really stumble Right. If you do, like I do, you understand the detriment of our sin. Now, let me say, and we're talking about this, explaining this passage, please understand that God is not out to give us. It's very clear in Scripture. 2 Peter 3 9 says, He is not willing that any should perish. He goes to every great lengths, the giving of His one only Son that we would not perish. But it is still on His terms that we are healed and move forward. This is how it works, how God works. He will do everything to save you, but if you cling to your sin in such a way that you cling to it and are willing to take others down with you, and that's where we're going tonight, and we see what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, he will cut you off. And that's the nature of sin. It is never just you. God always judges to save. Who's a part of LTC this semester? So whenever he judges, he actually judges to ultimately save. He judges to save. Okay? 
Um, let's, do this, let's, let's break down further the deceit and the hypocrisy we see uh, with Ananias and Sapphira and, and see what we can learn ourselves. Cool? Yeah. Can help us? Okay. Here's some more background for you. This helped me a lot um, to understand like the significance of what's happening. Land was usually passed down from family. So this was like not just land, like but this is your inheritance. Oh, right. And also what came with your land was often a status symbol where you should in society. So if you got rid of it, you could lose status. You could lose and you were kind of like not disregarding your family, but it would have been like maybe not you well. Because your parents and your grandparents had had accumulated that and protected that and provided that for you. Okay? You had to hear from the Lord to do this. Um, at this time, there's not really a banking system like we know today. So your wealth was in your land. It was your savings. It was your means of income. It was your security. And since you retired. Um, and it was usually, so we might think, well, okay, but these people must have been well-to-do with their cell land. Not the vast majority of people. There wasn't a large middle class. The vast majority of people, which seems to be the camp these folks are in, only had one piece of property. So they don't have a lake house, they don't have additional rental properties for the most part, okay? So the deceptive gift of all, it wasn't a gift of all, it was a deceptive gift of all that made Ananias and Sapphira look good. That's why they did it. Their motive was to look good. The crazy thing is it's still, it's still pretty stretching, and in some ways it's actually pretty noble if this was their condition, if they didn't have anything else. But they still lied to God and held back. And what they did is they showed trust in themselves over God. Their safety net was the reserve they kept back. Not God or their brothers and sisters. What appears to be the case with Barnabas is that he sold that property potentially not having any more. And it blessed the community but also made it dependent on the community. This is like communal living by God's design, not like communism. Okay? This is an important point. God can work with the part. There's nothing wrong with giving the part. It's saying that part is all. Okay? It's giving part with hypocrisy. Yeah. But if we give part honorably, openly, God can multiply that as long as we give it. Right. Okay? Hey, here's just a simple breakdown. I did this for myself. The difference between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. We have that slide. Um, oh, there it is. Right there. You got it. You see it already. Barnabas, sacrificial, name-effacing, benefiting brothers and sisters. Ananias and Sapphira. Actually, they began with deceit, which led to greed, then name exalting instead of name-effacing, and they ultimately, potentially, set themselves up to rob the brothers and sisters. We'll look more at this. This is what their action, their deception, ultimately would have robbed the church, not bless the church. And not, not just robbed the church, but it throughout history would have robbed. They could have essentially robbed us. I'll try and explain it. So, again, we come to this passage, for this passage, this passage. what kind of words is that? When you hear the next word, understand. So we come to this passage, and what we see that is tragic is not the loss of life of Ananias and Sapphira, but what could have been lost if they had not been cut off. What could have been lost if they 
were not judged, and harshly as it was. Okay, this is what I find over and over again in campus ministry. Campus ministry. My own life, and in this whole process of what we do, making disciples, that sin's effects don't often hit home to us until they hit person. Okay? Your sin, my sin, is never just to your detriment. It is never an arbitrary thing. It is never just between you and God. It always affects the person around you. The person around you. Your family, your friends, your small group. We say this stuff up. It's just between you and God. I'm just going to keep it here. I'm going to keep it hidden. It's not true. It never works. I read this account in uh, George Whitfield's biography, which is a ridiculously amazing, wonderful, good biography. Uh, George Whitfield, if you don't know him, was a famous British evangelist um, in the 1700s. He came into one, he did mostly open air preaching initially, and he came into one small village and began to preach. And the people were hard hearted and very unresponsive to him. And he was calling them to repentance over their sin. And they did not respond. He turned the corner and they began to, some of them, some of them, began to become repentant and soften their hearts. What did he do? He started talking about the children. He said, fine, you go on that way. The detriment of your own sin to yourself doesn't affect you. Let me enumerate what this will do to your children. Let me enumerate what this will do to your grandchildren. And some people began to get it. Sin always has a personal effect. It always affects the ones we love the most. We can't get away from that. It's so true. Your sin, what you do here, well, you're, not just your sin, like your righteousness, walking with God on this campus will have ripple effects in your small group. If you get closer to Jesus, the people around you get closer to Jesus. It's never separate. In the same way, if you're sexually immoral, it will affect your small group. Not just you. You can't say it's between me and God and me and my partner. No. It will affect your small group. It affects everybody around you. We are a community. We are a family. A win for one, a win for all. A loss for one, a loss for all. That's simple. Ananias and Sapphira's sin was personal. This isn't merely failure to get the facts straight. This is actually allegiance to the enemy. This isn't failure to get the facts straight. This is allegiance to the enemy, which again is personal. Because Satan is a person, Jesus is a person. What is Satan? Satan is the father of lies. When you lie, you align yourself with a person. When you tell the truth, you align yourself with the truth, who is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Ananias and Sapphira align themselves with the wrong person. That's a nice way to put it. Okay, What happens in a battle or a war if you compromise with the enemy? What are you called? You're a traitor. And your actions cost the lives of your friends. And possibly yours. Usually, right? So here's what we need to notice. Ananias and Sapphira lived in an atmosphere of war. How do I say that? On the basis of what Paul said, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and principalities. We are in a war against darkness. And then he says next, after that, put on the full armor of God. He says, take the, the, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the sheet, right? And he, and he tells us how to wage war. Ananias and Sapphira, the early church, they were in 
war. And so the significance here is that Ananias and Sapphira align themselves with the enemy. And it would not just bring down them, it compromised everyone. And this is what we have to come back to. All of this, all that the Lord's doing in the early church that we've been looking at would have stopped. Thousands of lives were being saved regularly. Right? I'm going to look at it in just a second. Regularly, thousands of lives are being saved. All this comes to a halt if this sin is allowed. Okay. Um, can we do this? Can we talk about a rescue effort? And, and really, in, in Acts, in the early church, even here on campus, when, when we get saved, we're rescued. We are. We are rescued. And what's happening in the early church is like there's a rescue effort going down. And people are being saved and brought into the kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the marvelous kingdom of light. Okay? But I want to give us some, I think Sam, didn't you mention World War II last week, Sam? Okay. History buffs, you can pump your fists. The rest of you guys can bear with me, okay, for a second. (laughs) I'll, I'll try to keep it interesting. Okay, anybody heard of the Dunkirk evacuation? Codenamed Operation Dynamo, okay? Also known as simply the miracle of Dunkirk or just Dunkirk, okay? If people um, have any, like, background in history, interest in these kind of things, you say Dunkirk and they think of a rescue effort, okay? Let me break this down, though, for the rest of us, okay? Operation Dynamo, Dunkirk, a.k.a. Dunkirk, was the evacuation of Allied soldiers during World War II in the early part of it, from the beaches and harbor of Dunkirk in the north of France. Still with me? Got it? Okay, this happened between May 26th and June 4th of 1940. I wasn't alive then. Some of you might think so. I wasn't, okay? Okay. The operation commenced after large numbers of Belgian, British, and French troops were cut off and surrounded by German troops during the six-week Battle of France. Let's talk about Winston Churchill for a second. In a speech to the House of Commons, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill called this a colossal military disaster. That is, all the troops getting stranded there. Saying the whole root and core and brain of the British Army had been stranded at Dunkirk and seemed about to perish or be captured. In his famous We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech on June 4th, he hailed their rescue as a miracle of deliverance. It was a miracle, I believe. And it was a miracle, the key thing about it, is it made the British believe, and their allies ultimately, that they could and would win the war. As you know, they did win the war. Okay? Um, The stats from that rescue, 338,226 soldiers were rescued. The war would not have been won without those soldiers. That's like moving towards half a million soldiers, okay? That's a lot of soldiers. You don't move forward. Nazi Germany takes over from there if those soldiers are not rescued. Interesting fact, and we'll get back to this again, but interesting fact, 933 vessels were involved in rescuing these troops from the beach of Dunkirk. 800 of them were not military vessels, nearly roughly 800 of them, but were manned mostly by civilians saying, we got to get involved we got to get involved or we're going down as a country. Wow. Okay. So I said that thousands of lives were being rescued in the time of Ananias and Sapphira. 
there was a rescue effort in the early church. Here's the account. I'm assuming you've already already read this. I'm bringing you back to it again, okay? Making it fresh. Acts 2, 40 and 41. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Okay, this is Peter, day of Pentecost. Okay, 46 and 47. So continually, skipping it down. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Simplicity of heart is a powerful thing. That's a focus of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What is happening? People are being rescued. How? Okay? Right off the bat, Pentecost happens, Holy Spirit comes. People are like, what's going on? Are these people drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning? Peter says, no. (laughs) And he stands up and he preaches the gospel and he shares what has happened. And 3,000 are saved on that day. Okay? But how else are people continually added, daily added to that number of those that were being saved? In this time where it's like repulsive and attractive. How is it happening? Because the believers were daily living life together, as I just read, and practicing what I like to call supernatural hospitality. Right? But again, all of this, all of this, you guys, would have come to a screeching halt if Ananias and Sapphira's sin would have been allowed to go along. All of this would have come to a screeching halt. In the early church, this is how it would be. There would be lying Ananias and Sapphira or the Holy Spirit in all his purity and power, but not both. It was one or the other. Ananias and Sapphira had to go. They were judged. They, were lost. they lost their lives, but only that lives might be saved. I mean, consider this, you guys. All these healings and salvations listed in Acts They're right around the corner, all negated because of the deceitful, selfish act of Ananias and Sapphira. And it's not just, we say Acts doesn't really have an end. Like, you could be Acts, we're living Acts 29 in a sense right now, as we said at the start of the semester. We are a continuation of what began in the early church. Lying, as Ananias and Sapphira did, could have cut off even us at that critical stage in the foundation of the church. Is that potent? Do you get that? Lord help us. Okay, to bring this home. As I said, if we're honest, I think we all know that we know how to play the part of Ananias and Sapphira. It's time for us to play the part of Barnabas. What did Barnabas do? He was sacrificial. He humbled himself. And he benefited those around him at cost to himself. Does that sound familiar? The inspiration for Barnabas is Jesus. He's at the center of everything happening in Acts. His death, his life, death, and resurrection is the whole motivation for the early church taking off, right? And the Holy Spirit descending. Jesus was the inspiration for Barnabas. Jesus didn't falsely promote himself and act in deception. Rather, he didn't try and act like he wasn't 
Like he didn't, like Ananias and Sapphira tried to act like they were something that they weren't. Jesus did the exact opposite. He actually humbled himself and took the form of a servant. He's the highest and he takes the lowest. See how it's complete opposite of when we, when we act and operate in deception? Jesus didn't give part with hypocrisy. He gave all in humility. And he did all of it for our benefit that we might be able to follow him in his actions and attitudes. And he did it all in such a way that we could follow him and in turn call others to follow him. He did it all in such a way that he could make us like him and we could be his representatives and call others to follow him just as he's called us to follow him. So what Jesus did is he set in motion the greatest rescue mission the world has ever known. Dunkirk is considered by some to be one of the greatest rescue missions ever in the history of the world. It pales in comparison. <laughs> it's, it's a quite noble thing. To, that's why we consider it today. That's why it's worth mentioning. But it doesn't even begin to compare. It's not even on the page with the greatest rescue mission of the world, which Jesus began, and we see it unfolding in Acts, and we're in the middle of it today. It's happening on our campus right now. You and I are part of it. We are rescued. So our question tonight, will we align ourselves with Jesus, who is the truth, to rescue many more? And will we allow him to search us and know us, and where there is inconsistency, where there is deception, will we allow him to root that out of us, that we might be all in, fully aligned with Jesus, who is the truth? How do we do this? This is how I do it. I pray this all the time. I've led us in this even recently. How do we do this? We pray with David, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors, sinners, your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you, rescued to you. Can we do this? I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to do this. I didn't like plan this out, but I think it'd be cool. Some responsive reading. I read it to you guys. You guys collectively as a crowd say it back to me. It's not going to be on the screen, but can we do that? Okay, I'll say it slowly and clearly. We're going to just go through what David led us through. This is Psalm 51, 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Then, okay, that's right. I got it mixed up. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Right on. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we make that our prayer together as a body of Christ that follows you. 
Would you create in us clean hearts, God? And as David prayed also in Psalm 139, would you search us and know us and reveal anything in us that is deceptive against you that would keep us from knowing you and walking with you? Not just us, but those around us. We recognize tonight that we're connected. We're brothers and sisters. What we do is not separate from each other. Amen. Okay, I want to leave us with this. Remember Dunkirk. Worship band, could you come back and join me? We'll finish with some worship. Okay, Dunkirk. Anybody remember how many were saved? 338. Any numbers person that knows the hundreds amount? 226. Close, Darian, you're listening. 3,000... No, 338,226 were saved. 933 vessels involved. 800 of them civilian boats. There's a crazy cool movie called The Darkest Hour that features this really well with Winston Churchill. Watch subtitles if you watch it because Churchill's accent, he mumbles like crazy. My point, though, all these men were rescued. Yes, they were naval destroyers there. They carried many men. But a huge part of the work was done by 800 boats. These were like people's, like some people that were wealthy had yachts. Other people that were like fishermen had fishing boats. They filled up their boats with soldiers. Did you guys see that picture? Like, they're loading up even, they're coming to naval destroyers to get them out of there, but first, they have to step in and do their part. Everyone had to join the war effort. Everyone had to join the war effort. If we're to reach this campus, it's every one of us. It's not the guy with the microphone. Tonight it's me, and next week it'll be some. Mostly it's you guys. It's you guys as you go to class. As you go to eat lunch, as you go to work, you're in a sense in your fishing boat and you're around people that need to be rescued, right? And this is whole God's design that he would bring us to repentance, he would purify our hearts, rid us of deception, and that we would no longer be spreading like sin, but we'd be spreading righteousness through what Jesus has done for us. Let me pray over you guys. Lord, thank you. For this word, I pray that you would help it get into our hearts, that we would, we would take this. Holy Spirit, that you would speak this to us. I again invite you, even as we worship, Lord, where there's work that's begun but not finished, would you search us and know us? Would you create in us clean hearts that we might lead those around us to you, Jesus? That what has been done for us might be done for others. That we would recognize that we are in a war with serious consequences. That every choice that we make matters. It affects those around us. It affects the future families that are represented here today that we can't even imagine at this point. Would you take the story, Lord, and all its significance, would you get it in our hearts? Would you purify us? And would you make us witnesses for you, Jesus?
May we bring many to you. May we be a part of this great rescue mission. Thank you for rescuing us. May we this, this semester, this spring semester, continue to rescue those around us. In your name we pray this, Jesus.